Welcome to Unique Careers, Unique Lives. This is a show and I'm on a quest. A quest to find how people get unstuck and create unique careers, unique lives. Every week I interview a guest to find their answer. Will you join me? Let's begin! In this episode, my guest is Diane Wisga, author, speaker, and story artist. Diane is a great storyteller and she has a great career slash life story to tell that is beautiful, interesting, touching, and teaching. I asked her to share with me a short introduction that I could share with you, and the story already begins with that introduction. Let me read it to you. This is Diane telling us about who she is. Remember the first time you rode a bike and took your hands off the handlebars? And then because it felt fun and daring, you did it again and again, riding down a hill with the wind in your face, arms up over your head, screaming, Look, Ma, no hands! You showed up. You did it. The arc of my professional career stretches from working inside as nurse, corporate woman, lawyer, to becoming a solopreneur and scuba diving the continental shelf, flying a plane, parachuting, walking the Camino de Santiago, and more. Over my lifetime, I've been letting go of the handlebars but just as often having my fingers pried off when I've been most afraid. At some of the darkest moments in my life, where the true way was wholly lost to me, a person or opportunity beckoned, and I said, yes. That's the place where the story changed. Are you curious about the story? Let's begin. I would like to start by asking your um, career journey. You have had quite some steps in your journey that were different from each other. So you started somewhere and then you added something else to your experience, uh, your life experience, and you made some shifts, some changes on the way. And I would like to know more about how did you navigate in your journey? What did you start with first? And then what did you find out so you wanted to shift your direction? I I started out with nursing um, because when I was going to college, that was was an area that women would go to not, not like today where you can go into so many different disciplines, but it was nursing, social worker teaching. And so I went into nursing. I was the oldest of seven children and um, I had a good mind for science. And so it seemed like uh, a good idea, but I knew early on that I really didn't want to do it. And so after my first year in college, I went to some advisors and asked them about transferring into another major and they discouraged me. They said, nope, that's not a good idea. You'll lose your scholarships. You will lose your friends who are with you in this class. Um, Better that you finish your four years, get your degree, and then decide what to do. And it was good advice. 
it was good advice, but it was a clue to me that at a young age, I was trying to give voice to my own voice and ending up looking to authority. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, um, there were shifts. Uh, looking back, it all makes sense. Looking back, it all makes sense. But, but at that point going forward, a lot of times the road was not very clear to me. So I went from, uh, I graduated with a BSN, a Bachelor's of Science, and I went into the Navy. And the reason I chose the Navy Nurse Corps as an officer was because it was different. And everybody else was going into the hospitals. And I thought, well, my dad was in the Navy as a radio man in World War II. So I'll do that. And that was a very good decision. I was in the Navy for three years. I was an officer. I, I saw a lot of cases that my um, nursing friends would not have seen. You get thrown into the deep end of the pool at an early age. And I got to work with a lot of wonderful people in pediatrics. And from there, I went into graduate school in nursing because it seemed like the right thing to do. If I looked back on it, it it turned out okay. It turned out to be a good decision. Um, From there, I launched into business. Why? Because clinical nursing had a dead end to it. Unless you wanted to go into administration, as a floor nurse, there was a dead end unless you wanted to be a floor nurse forever. And so I decided to morph into risk management, which was the business of looking at the risk in hospitals. How many people are falling out of their beds? How many people are getting bad medication errors? Um, How many doctors are making mistakes? So in a way, I was coaching myself toward the next step, which was law. So I went back to school. I went and got a, a law degree And I was doing that on a full-time basis. I had also gotten married at the same time. But when I practiced law, it wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. So I decided that, and and the reason it wasn't quite what I wanted to be, I was in in defense, uh, medical malpractice. I was defending doctors and nurses, but the integrity of it, didn't feel right. It would only be later when I started representing the injured plaintiffs that I realized that by working in the defense side, I wasn't being true to myself, even though I was representing people I worked with, doctors and doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. There was a point in time where everything fell apart, really fell apart. In 1998, I had asked for what I was asking for was, um, you know, like a clean canvas, you know, how you ask the universe for a fresh start. And you know how they say, be careful what you ask for, because you just might get it. I did. And so in the space of nine months, I lost my mother. She had been misdiagnosed with uh, leukemia and she didn't live out the battle. 
the law firm I was working for merged with another and my position went away. And I discovered that my husband had been having a year-long affair. And so the marriage went away. So here I was without a mother, without a marriage, and without a job. And at that point in my life, I felt like I couldn't do anything. I, I could not do anything. And, and the funny thing about our lives, as we look back on them, is that what we experienced at the time, we're really no longer in touch with. Looking back, we're really working with a memory of what that time was. And I can tell you that the memories are not as harsh as the living through them. So um, depression runs down the maternal line of my family. So we all get a healthy dose of clinical depression, which got kicked in. And not having a job or knowing where to go and, and really being lost in the woods. Because before I had been able to transition. So I was able to go from nursing into the military, the military into graduate school. And then from there, I went into the, into the risk management side, which was business and worked in corporations. And then from there, I went into law and the practice of law. And so at each turn, decisions seemed like they made sense. But this, nothing made sense. Nothing made sense because there was no ground, no ground left to stand on. And so what I did was I was driving past an organic farm, uh, not too far from where I lived. And they had a sign that said help wanted. And I figured I wanted help. So I drove in and what they wanted was somebody to work for $7 an hour in their farm stand. And this is how stuck in the old ways I was. I remember bringing in my CV, you know, <laughs> with all the attachments to it. And um, Farmer George looked at it and he goes, well, that's all really well and good. But, you know, what do you know about working in a farm stand? Like, well, I don't know. But I, I mean, how hard could that be? And actually, it was really enjoyable. It was really enjoyable because because I was outside, I was in the fresh air. I got to work cutting the trees in the, um, in the orchard that was part of the farm. It was 25 acres, all organic. Uh, got to meet parents and children that came in. Uh, it, was, it was really, really, really a wonderful time. I didn't have to think about anything. I just did my shift. I got my $7 an hour and I would leave. But at the same time, I was very aware of the discrimination because when you work in that position or in any position that people kind of look down on, whether it's driving a taxi, working as a janitor, I remember a mother coming in with her daughter and by the daughter's uniform, I knew she was from a private high school, very local to the farm. And the mother and the daughter brought all the, their uh, produce to the counter. And while I was weighing everything up and putting it together, the mother said to me, be careful not to put the watermelon on top of the eggs. 
And then she turned to her daughter and said, this is why I want you to go to college. At a moment like that, I wanted to reach for my purse and, and pull out my bar card and say, but this is who I really am. I'm a lawyer and I'm, I'm a lawyer in the state of California. And I was really smart and I graduated cum laude out of my class. But you can't do that. You can't say that. Because that just wouldn't be right. I think that when you're in places like that, not knowing which way to turn, not knowing what to do next, not knowing how you can be of service to somebody, not having any confidence in yourself, any faith in yourself. What really happens if you open your heart wider is people show up. People show up and opportunities show up. And I'll close this this bit by telling you a little bit about how that happened. I was working in storytelling all, all during this time, but I didn't have the confidence to be back out on what they call platform telling. And a woman who'd found out about me drove 90 minutes from her home to interview me, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but she had back surgery and 90 minutes in a car was very painful for her. And yet she came out, she took me to lunch and she talked to me and said, I would like you to be the keynote speaker for this monthly women's group that I have. And she drove back home and I agreed that I would do that. And I did. I, I did go to her, her group, her organization. And I was the keynote speaker. And all I did was tell stories. And I got a standing ovation. It's little things like that that helped me along this journey, which probably took a couple of years to find my way out of. So I have lots of visions from the vivid way of storytelling as you did. I was wondering, so what first I caught from what you said again, reminded me what a lot of people said, like when you are in a place of being shaken, your foundation had been shaken, you don't have a basis, you don't know what's going to happen next. There is nothing still there that you have known that it existed before. They always suggested me in the interviews that I had so far that you just take an action, any action that feels right, rather than just being stuck or staying wherever you are. You just take a step somewhere and something will show itself to you. And I felt your driving and seeing this farmer stand and then applying with your CV was that kind of step that might have maybe opened or called in different um, people into your life that you have taken a step to the unknown yourself. I agree with what you said about 
when you are ready to take a step, even if you don't know what that is, because I do believe we have to give our grief, our suffering, our uncertainty, we have to give that a, its due for a little while. It's almost like we have to sit on the, the curb and watch the parade go by for a little while, not, not for forever. In fact, what this woman said to me, I'll never forget this. She says in the Bible, it says you are supposed to go through the valley of death, not build a house with a picket fence and a garden. <laughs> and that has stuck with me. So, so yes, I believe we have to recognize our suffering. We have to take care of our suffering. And we also have to be willing to take the first step that's in front of us. And like you said, take a thing. It's, it's like if you're caught in a, a hurricane and there's all these pieces of paper going around you, grab one piece of paper and act on that one piece of paper because you can always change later. And what this woman did for me was gave me the confidence to apply to a local university and offer a semester-long storytelling course. I've never done it before, but I figured the people coming to me don't know anything about story. So, <laughs> and I got the most wonderful group of students at the end of the semester. We put on a story concert. They invited their friends, their family to come in. And in that group of students, one of whom I'm still in touch with, she's become a dear friend in Canada. But out of that group of students, there were two lawyers. They were both litigators and they worked on behalf of injured people, plaintiffs. And they said to me, you know, what lawyers really need is help getting out of their lawyer head and being able to tell the story of what happened to their client, to the jury, to the judge, to the insurance company. And that's what you should do. Well, I didn't know anything about that at all. I mean, I was a lawyer. I was a storyteller. But I didn't know about this connection. And one of the lawyers put me in touch with another lawyer who invited me to sit in on a focus group, which is where uh, you test the, the case or the trial in front of people who don't know anything about it and learn from them. Do you have a strong case? Do you have a weak case? Can you, can you make the case better? Like, like testing, you know, Coke or Pepsi, or cat food, although I don't think you'd give cat food to people. Um, they might. Um, but I sat in on that, and I gave my observations to the lawyer who had invited me. And he said, you know, and this is where you start to pay attention. Anytime somebody says to you, you know, <laughs> open up your ears, because he said there is a national organization of plaintiff litigators and periodically every month or so they have these um, uh, meetings that go from Wednesday to Sunday and they bring a case that they're working on 
and they're broken up into little groups and uh, litigation consultants, which is what I found out this role would be called, are invited, your travel is paid, and you volunteer your time and you work on the different cases with the different lawyers. So apply to this organization, tell them I sent you, and there you go. I did. They called me. They said, we're having one of these meetups and we want you to come. I did. And I remember sitting next to the attorney who was kind of running the group, the small group testing the focus group. And I knew nothing. I knew how to ask questions. I knew the story I was trying to get at. But in terms of how to do it properly, he helped me along. I would ask a question and he would pull me aside and say, well, maybe you want to word it this way. And that was the beginning of my litigation career. And I became what they call a solopreneur. I set up a practice. I became nationally recognized. I spoke at annual conferences. I wrote articles. I won hundreds of millions of dollars for people who had been damaged or for the families if they had been killed. And I look back on that and say, but for saying yes to someone, but for reaching out and saying, I'm going to offer this story coaching semester at university, I would never have gotten here. And that, to me, still brings tears to my eyes that people who didn't know me at the time reached out and said, you know, (laughs) and that's the one thing that has kept me going through all the times when the, the, the road has dipped down before it's gone back up again. That recollection that when it was really dark, someone reached out and said, you know. <laughs> and so here I am. Um, the practice uh, closed. I, I moved away from California. And I found myself a new home on Whidbey Island in Washington. And I am once again at a new frontier. But once I realized that, and that was my big aha moment at the beginning of this year of 2020, I was floundering around. So we met each other in TPF4. I was floundering around as, what do I do as a podcaster? What do I do in freelancer? What do I do in story skills? Who am I? And I realized that I'm right back where I was. I'm at a new frontier. 
And that was a comfort to me because New Frontiers, I've been there before. I, I don't quite know how this will evolve. I am putting together stories from women who walk my podcast. I am putting together my blog, my life as compost, <laughs> which is essentially what we've been talking about. Mm. You know, our lives are coffee grounds and orange peels and scraps from our salads. And yet no mud, no lotus. If you don't have the mud, how are you going to grow the lotus? You got to have it. So I don't know yet where the opportunity will come from to coach people, to teach story. I just know that I've been here before and with the help of people, I found my way through the forest. Beautiful story, and it's an ongoing, <laughs> ongoing one. Thank God. <laughs> yes, it's not the end of the story. It's just where something changes. So, what happens next? That's that's always it, isn't it? In our in our lives, what happens next? And sometimes we're able to answer that, and sometimes we have to wait for the answer because when my um when when my divorce happened i remember the attorney saying to me that truth whispers but everything else shouts and so you have to sit and be quiet and listen for the whispers because they're there just like your angels they're there I appreciate your attorney, <laughs> quite a wise person. <laughs> yes. Yes, she yeah. was. Yeah. She was. I I also noticed when you started telling your career story and narrating different steps that you took, you always said it felt right at that point. It kind of felt right. It was the logical step for me. And now towards um, the end of uh, the story, it was, I don't know what will come. <laughs> I, I feel there is a change in your approach to to life or to, to the steps to be taken. It's not like things that you see and do. I feel there is like I don't want to say even forceful, but like there's this logical sense that is directed to a point. Um, this is just the feeling that I have. Whereas now it feels like there is more mystery that has impact on you. You allow uh, to be shaped by whatever is going to come to you. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. Yes. Um, I think that in our early years, we, we tell our life, okay, this is where I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to earn. This is who I'm going to marry. This is fill in the blank. That's how we live our early decades. And then at some point in time, 
just as you've identified. We, at least this is what I'm doing now, and you've picked up on that. I'm asking my life, what do you want from me? Who am I supposed to be, life? Who do you want me to serve, life? How do you want me to look, life? And you are absolutely right. It's scary because you're no longer saying, okay, this is where I'm going to go and what am I going to do? But it's freeing because now I can say, I've done a great deal. I've achieved a great deal. I've accomplished a great deal. Some of which has been rewarding and some not so much. Now I'm at a place of trusting life and saying, you've been around a lot longer than I have. You have a sense of how I can serve best. Give me some of those crumbs through the forest that I can follow. And I will tell you, it is, it is no coincidence that I picked up podcasting when I did. Because last fall, just before it start, started, a friend of mine, my story friend from years back, she said, why don't you just go back onto Seth Godin's blog and you know, maybe he'll have some ideas. I did. I see TPF coming across it. And I went, okay, fine. I'll, I'll take this class. But I had no idea how to use this tool, for whom to use it, what was my voice going to be. And so as soon as TPF was going along, freelancer showed up. Oh, I'll take that too. And then and that was going along. Story skills showed up. Oh, I'll take that too. <laughs> so here I am taking these back-to-back intense, you've been through them, workshops and not having the voice. I was still in that mode of imposing this, these tools. But you can have a tool if you don't know what it's for and how to use it, what's the point? I mean, if you have a hammer and you use it to hit yourself on the head, well, what's the point? So that is why when the year turned and I came to 2020 and I just sat down and said, all right, what's wrong with this picture? That's when I realized I was in my old way. I'm going to take these classes. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to produce. Every one of those workshops is enormously valuable to me. Why? Because now I can sit down, look at all of it and say, what did I learn? What are the tools? How will I use it going forward? Who can I serve? So you are absolutely, you're dead on. Yep. I have two things that I'm trying to now formulate into a question. One thing that I'm curious is that going back to what your lawyer told you to listen. So how do you create the space or what do you do to 
really have the silence to hear the whisper. And the other question is, I was very curious about how you were found by this lady who drove um, so many hours to find you with her back pain. Um, how, what was the ticking point that enabled her to connect with you? What did you do? How were you present? So these two questions were in my mind and I'm, I think it's my personal challenge now by voicing out I will ask you if that makes sense at all like being out there sometimes feels to me taking out from this silence to listen so I know if you want if you want people to come and show up in your life as people who would show you the way or the next step or this mystery that is awaiting you in life you have to be seen somehow you, you also have to act but at the same time to listen you need your silence and your meditation space or the separation somehow I feel like personally <laughs> and I have this conflict or curiosity let's conflict is a judgment curiosity how we can do both that we can um, have space to listen but at the same time be in places at the right time or do things to call people into our lives? I think based on my experience, and so that's what I have. I have the truth of my experience. I think they actually work in tandem. Mm. Uh, Jan found me because I had spoken previously to smaller women's groups and somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody said to her, this is a lady that you might want to talk to. So you know how they say it's, it's never what you know, it's who you know that matters. Mm. I believe there's a lot of truth in that. Mm -hmm. So that was just a byproduct. Uh, getting to Jan was a byproduct of work that I had done before telling stories in women's groups, say at a luncheon. I'll pull this around now. How does it work in tandem? I was very, very lucky to uh, be influenced by Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese um, Buddhist monk. Um, I actually had books by him, but I never really paid much attention to them. I met him in 2009. And Deer Park Monastery is one of the three monasteries he established in the U.S., and it happened to be about 30 minutes drive from my house. And I began going there on retreat. And then I took the five mindfulness trainings and was given a Dharma name. So now it's serious. Now, I'm, now I can't just mess around with meditation. One of the practices that has become central to my life is mindful breathing, being aware of your breathing in, being aware of your breathing out, settling your body, bringing your mind back into your body again, and creating a sense of freedom, letting go of your regrets, your past regrets, letting go of your future worries, and creating that space 
where you can just breathe and be. So I start out my day with meditation. I also will walk and try to walk mindfully what Thich Nhat Hanh or Thai teacher tells us to walk mindfully, walking meditation. And I believe that by practicing in this way, allowing my mind and my body to come back together, breathing mindfully, being mindful and aware of the way I'm living my life allows me to then have that space that more clearly identifies, illuminates, articulates what it is that I want or need. And in that place, you know how they say thoughts become things? That's my central philosophy. The more negative thoughts we think, the more opportunities we have to run up against negative events, the more positive thoughts we think, the more opportunities we have to run up against positive events, positive people. So to me, the breathing and being aware of who is out there, what is out there, how can I call them into my life? They must be looking for me just as much as I'm looking for them. We have this opportunity to come together and, and be useful to each other. So that serves me. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's about when you have this space, there is the clarity about what you want in your life, in your space, uh, who you would like to connect or who you might also see the truth more clearly than you might be seeing now. Um, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I think in this, the way that I described you to show up still has this quality of forcefulness, I think, like in my mind, like we have to do things, we have to post so frequently, we have to do social media planning, we have to do newsletter, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and then this is a requirement to help people find you. So this, I have an inherent belief or an assumption that this is probably the right thing and I might not be doing that because to me, it doesn't feel that it's my natural way of living. <laughs> to me, this rhythm that I described, like they should do so many posts and so on, this doesn't feel natural to me. So it's not my natural rhythm of communicating, but inherently I feel the pressure or even I have the belief that to be found this is the way that I should act and then this inner conflict comes in for me because I I want to be mindful of myself and I want to have mindful moments and I feel if it's that I need to do 
then that takes away from me the possibility to be mindful of myself and my time and my nature. It, it sounds to me like what you're saying is what's the middle way? Mm-hmm. Um, because our society is such that there is the go, 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 check it off, do it, da, da, da. And then there's the other side where I guess you're not doing anything at all. But what's the, what is the middle way that allows for the balance between doing what one is called to do well and fully and having the presence to care for yourself as well as you're caring for, for your guests, for your listeners, for your friends, for your spouse, for your family, for your fill in the blank. And I think that was part of that aha moment this January where I, I realized, yes, I want to do my work. Yes, I want to be of use to people. Yes, I want to talk to people and have them as my guests. I want to do all of that. And I want to be true to what I said, which is life. What, what, what do you want? What do you want from me? You've been patient. What do you want from me now? That is the way forward for now, for this frontier. Yeah, I think a lot of the things is just to 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 let yourself live an experience and hear or see the truth and take another step and go. That's exactly it. You can always look up the path that you're on and back down that same path, you know, to see where you've come from. And if the way up doesn't look so much like what you want or need, then you cut off the path. You create a new one because that's what our lives are. Our, our lives are stories that are created based on change. This happened, that happened, change. I'm still very curious about your storytelling journey, uh, which I didn't have time to cover. So what made you start in storytelling? Maybe we do another conversation another time. Um, For the timing, I'm curious what is exciting you for the coming days regarding your projects, um, what you're working on right now? Uh, Number one, I would love to come back and talk. (laughs) I have no problem talking and I hope it's of use, of, of use to your listeners. What I'm excited about is finally doing what all of my colleagues have done is launching. I've got all kinds of things in the hopper, but finally launching, launching stories from women who walk, uh, getting the blog launch, getting the website, getting the new business card, getting, getting all of it done, getting it all of it done and out there. That is what I'm really looking forward to putting into motion. That is my goal. And I feel that once I have gotten to that point, 
I will feel like I'm earning my keep. <laughs> I'll have a better direction. And that once that occurs, I think more things will begin to reveal themselves. I really do. Other people will come in the door or things will pop up. You know how it does. Well, I believe by the time this podcast is out, I think everything will be there and um, I will be sharing your links on the blog post. And uh, I hope some people would like to listen more of your stories and the stories of people you will host in your podcast. I'm also very excited about it. And I wish you all the best with the upcoming days, the weeks you said. And um, thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. It was joy and very inspiring for me. I love it when I can in energy level connect, relate, and also live with a bigger sense of possibilities and questions that I can uh, walk in life with. And um, I felt that way in our conversation. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you're very welcome. And you know, of course, how this works. I've got to have you on my show as a guest too. So be looking for that Zoom invite. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Every word Diane said was beautiful. I'm so inspired by all the things we talked about. If you'd like to read my takeaways and learn more about Diane's work, please visit the podcast's website, which is uniquecareersuniquelives.com. Uniquecareersuniquelives.com. I'm wishing you mindful times with yourself so that you will clear the way to meet people and things that are looking for you as much as you are looking for them. Talk to you in the next episode.